tired of feeling like you're spinning all the plates in your design business and at any moment they could all come crashing down? Are you feeling like you're so close to breaking through to the next level, but those consistent projects still aren't flowing your way? Are you ready to finally take your business from a hobby to 100K and beyond? Then welcome to the Six Figure Designer Podcast. I'm talking all the techniques you need in your design business to start paying yourself, get great clients, and finally break through that five-figure ceiling. So hello, everyone. I'm so excited to bring this guest to you today. And in fact, I feel like I need to explain a little bit about why she's here. So Kelly Elvin is going to be joining us today. And Kelly is actually a dog trainer in Michigan. And the reason that I think that she has some really interesting insights into what you can use in your interior design business is because there's two, there's several reasons why. But first of all, one of them is that dog training is the second career for her. So I know there's a lot of you out there that have um, interior design is a second career. So she can kind of speak to that a little bit. And then the other thing is she has successfully created a luxury product in what we're going to say is an everyday market. And I know a lot of you out there are wondering, how can I charge premium prices in my small town? So Kelly's going to give us a little bit of insight into that. But before I let her talk a little bit. I'm just going to do a quick introduction. So Kelly Elvin is the founder of Tip Top Tales Dog Trading, and she is located in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kelly has been coaching people and their dogs for over 23 years and has founded Tip Top Tales back in 2007 when she moved to Michigan. Before that, she was a, drum roll please, a practicing lawyer for 10 years in Chicago. So Kelly's a certified professional dog trainer, knowledge assessed, a professional member of the Association of Professional Dog Trainers and served many years as a board member and volunteer for Alvan Humane Society in South Haven. She also does mentoring and is an instructor for the Dog Walking Academy, um, which coaches professional dog walkers. I mean, the list goes on and on, and she has really dived into becoming the best she can at her, not, I wouldn't say her new venture, but her second career, right? And here's an interesting twist on that. Kelly believes that the primary goal of dog training is to have a dog you enjoy being around. Go figure, right? And so her training emphasizes emphasizes practical skills for everyday life. So she has a strong interest in training, training and socializing puppies to reach their full potential and has developed an innovative program called Puppy Day School, which we're also going to talk about. But Kelly, Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi. So, so good to have you here. Yeah, it's so good to have you here. And I, and of course, in full disclosure, I have to tell everyone that Kelly is also my sister. So, yeah, so there's another reason um, that I think, well, she, and she's also like extremely brilliant. And the thing, you can talk to this a little bit, Kelly, but we talk on the phone pretty regularly because we don't live in the same area. But a lot of the times our, our discussions come back to like business, right? Running business and what can we do about running a better business? Yeah, because I feel like we have, you know, so much in common in that respect. Um, I know this isn't your second career, right? Um, you, you had a lot of clarity early on about what you wanted to do. And um, Pam was always, I mean, artistic, drawing. I'm the words person. She is an amazing visual person. Um, so that's always been, you know, some part of her life. 
And uh, yeah, so we, you know, have both been women business owners and especially in the modern era, there's so many different ways to market and get content out to folks that want to learn about what you're doing. And so we, you know, share a lot of ideas about that. And it's super helpful because I feel like I gained so much view and I know sometimes I get insights for you that you had thought of. So it's, it's great to have that additional area that we can share and learn from each other. Yeah. So all that clarity, right? So, um, so one of the things that I, I wanted to touch on, which I briefly mentioned at the beginning is that so many designers out there, interior design is a second career. And I've heard that from a lot of different people. And so I would like you to initially just touch on how you went from being a lawyer to owning Tip Top Tales. Like how was that transition for you kind of going into a whole different world, right? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting from both sides of it. Uh, the folks in the legal field all thought I was insane, right? Like, what are you doing? You know, I what's happening, I had, right? Uh, made it my parents, our parents were not super thrilled about it either. Um, you know, so that I had basically what had happened was um, the being a commercial litigator, uh, you know, your schedule is really not your own. I mean, the work flow happens when, you know, if someone sues your client or your client has an emergency, um, life will burn up right now. Right. And so that workflow was really getting to me. And um, one of our dogs got very sick and passed away kind of unexpectedly. And that was also kind of what prompted me to think I got to make a change. Right. I can't live like this. Like, this is not what I want. Um, so, leave, you know, I, the funny thing is, I just, they literally were like, hey, we'd like, we'd like to offer you a partnership. And I said, no, thanks. I'm quitting to become a dog trainer. Um, so, that was a little confusing. Um, I had been in apprenticing with a local dog trainer, became my best friend, and to this day is my dearest friend and mentor. Uh, Jamie D'Amato of FetchFind is an incredible leader in our industry. And so I quit my job and went to work for her. Um, and uh, it went a big shift. I mean, so from the legal field, obviously, people thought, what are you doing? You're walking away from this prestigious and, and lucrative career to do something that makes no sense, right? And right. from the dog side, there were some people who said to me, well, you, if this was really your passion, you would have been doing this the whole time. You wouldn't be a career changer. And that was pretty hurtful. You know, I, I remember saying to someone, well, I don't have a time machine. So, you know, this is where I am now. And you don't want to support my journey. That's okay. But this is what's happening for me. Um, so, you know, it was an interesting shift from both sides. Um, and it took a little while for me to get past that like my identity was so tied into what I did, which I yes. think, again, is something a lot of us in the small business field as well. And it's not always healthy, right? Like that's. Yeah. So we've talked about this, how much of our identity is tied to what we do. But yes, we could talk about that. So that was a big. Yeah, that was a shift for me, I think, to let go. of. You know, when you say you're a lawyer, people look at you in a certain way. And when you say you're a dog trainer, I had a couple clients early on who kind of assumed I wasn't very educated. Yes, we get this yeah. a lot. This is so interesting because I think interior design gets this too. Um, everyone thinks that we're just pillow fluffers, right? And um, and that we don't yeah. have any education or it's just something that we just sort of fell into. And, you know, sometimes people do discover 
a love for a new career, but that doesn't mean that they're not educated, right? So I think you're speaking to something that everyone can actually relate to in terms of, especially people who want to, who discover interior design even as a second career. I mean, sometimes we don't know what we don't know, right? You get, you get into, everyone gets into a career for various reasons. It could be because they think they like it. It could be because their parents wanted them to do that. It could be because society said, this is what you should do, right? So many kids now in college are going to be engineers and, um, you know, going for general business, which I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but it seems like an inordinate amount of people. And I'm wondering if it's because it's more societal pressure than really what people want to do, kind of to your point. And so carry on. People didn't think you were smart, right? Or didn't think you were educated. Right. I think what said, like people don't, you don't always know what your what your path is at 19 or 20 or 25 even i was or even uh, older i'm going to make some quick math and thinking about like when did i actually make that shift so it was i was uh i don't know 30 something right yeah. when i made that change career which is a late time you know for a lot of folks it feels like a late time but i guess you know, it is what it is. And it's just something that I knew I wanted to explore and I felt really energized about. Right. Um, and so I think that, and I, for me, and this partly because of being, having gone to college and law school, my orientation towards my new career of dog trainer was very much academic in terms of, I yes. wanted to get some act, formal academic training, as well as hands-on mentoring, as well as reading books and watching videos to educate myself. So, and and that's partly why I went for my uh, CPDT, my Certified Professional Dog Trainer, which is a standardized test that you take and you have to have 300 hours of teaching dogs under your belt before you can even mm-hmm. take the exam. Which probably exam nobody would- ever knows, right? Outside of your industry, nobody knows these things. And I think I think that's, you know, there's certifications in design as well. And I think that we should be talking about them, right? Because people just don't know. They just have no idea and they don't know what they don't know. So continuing to talk about that. And I 100% agree with you that I think um, educating the public about, you know, you don't have to have formal education to do, be a designer or be a dog trainer. Um, but it's helpful to educate the public about what those certifications are and what they mean because they give information, right? It's not the it's not the whole story, but it's part of the story. And I would agree that our professional organizations are not great at explaining to the general public what this means and what it what it brings to the consumer. Like because right. the consumer really cares about how does it benefit them, right? What does this expertise translate into what you can do for me? And you know, I feel like that more education on that topic for the consumer is is super important. Yeah. And I think that we should all be thinking about ways that we can craft that message to our clients, not just coming out and saying, I have this, 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 and this, but to your point, why these things are important or how this can help them, how this can help that process, how them, how this can help the project, right? Become better, faster, you know, come in on time, you know, that all of that education rolls up into some benefit, right, for the customer. I mean, look, one thing I've learned about marketing over the years is every single piece of marketing you do, no matter what it is, ultimately has to tell your intended consumer how this helps them. How does it solve a problem? How does it address a pain point or a concern, 
right? That your marketing always has to speak to um, how I can benefit the, the consumer that I'm trying to reach. That's that's just practical. Right. And so let's get into something that I think so many people are going to be interested in hearing is that, and when we were talking about this, the reason I wanted to bring you on is because you've built a really great business in a small market, you know, in a market that, um, you know, you're the, you're the highest or one of the highest charging trainers in your area. You open your classes, they sell out in minutes, which I know is incredible. Every time they sell out in minutes, which is awesome. But then as we were preparing for this interview, one thing that you told me, which was, I thought was so great. And I, you know, everybody get your pencils out. Um, that you built a business, like your market didn't even know what the, your approach to dog training was even possible because it wasn't the way or the traditional way of dog training. So maybe you could just speak to that a little bit about not only is your approach different, so then you had to kind of like get people to even wrap their heads around that, but then you had to craft it in such a way that people would be willing to pay more than they've ever paid before for this thing that they didn't even know they needed, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, because I had been working as a trainer with my mentor um, or in, in Chicago, right? And obviously the, the market there is, there's, there's, uh, it's a high wealth demographic in the areas we were located in. And uh, there's a lot of dog training. It's a very active dog training community. So people were aware of positive reinforcement. People were willing to pay, you know, fairly high rates for training. Moving here to a more rural community. Mm -hmm. And again, a community that didn't have a lot of uh, exposure to positive reinforcement training. Um, that was, you know, a challenge. And I think our approach was basically build it and they will come. Like, this is what I want to do. and if it doesn't work, I mean, it doesn't work, but I got to, I got to give it a try. Cause I'm not going to change my approach. I'm not going to change my philosophy, right? Like we're going to bring something here. And so part of it was just, you know, I really think your market doesn't know what's possible until you tell them, right? Like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. So this was something that people wanted and they maybe didn't even know they wanted. Right. Right. So when I said, Hey, guess what? you can train your dog without yelling at you could train your dog without hitting them. You can both enjoy the training process. This doesn't have to be about confrontation. It can be about cooperation. People were excited about that. I mean, we have people come to us that didn't go to training before because they didn't like it. They thought, well, I don't want to hurt my dog or yell at my dog. And so I guess dog training is not for me because they didn't even know there was another option, right? Um or we have people that went to a trainer and just didn't like the process at all. And, um, and we get those folks, we're still getting those folks. They say, oh, I went to so-and-so and, um, but I really never felt comfortable. And we say, okay, you're going to feel very different here. Um, so part of it was that, right. Just part of what was letting people know that there was another way and that was available. Uh, yeah. And so let's I think again, talk about. Yeah, let's talk about that in the beginning almost, because now it's kind of rolling and, and you've got a reputation. So in the beginning, when you were, first of all, I think you bring up a good point that it has to be something that you truly believe in that's to your core. And I know that there can be a lot of designers out there who are running their businesses the way they think 
a real designer should run their business instead of looking at the type of work or the type of philosophy that they feel. And so there may be a misalignment there. So I would encourage everyone to make sure that what you're offering and how you're offering and the, and the depth and breadth of services are something that are truly in alignment with what you believe in, because obviously that will also help in the selling of it. So in the beginning, when you were building this business, basically from nothing and you, and let's just say you and your husband are both in this business. So it's like a ride or die situation, right? You know, like you got to make it work or you got to, you know, decide quickly. So I know in the beginning you had a really interesting sort of boots on the ground um, way to, to get your name out there and, you know, with vets and other um, stores that were catering to dog owners. So just talk a little bit about how you did that in the beginning and how you continue yeah. to nurture those relationships. Absolutely. So, you know, we focused on um, locally owned pet businesses, right? So not big chains, because obviously they had their own training programs. They weren't going to be interested in helping us, but locally owned shops where we could support them, right? We could, we could came in and said, hey, we'd love to bring some training to this area. We'd love to, you know, maybe we could hold a class here or hold a workshop here. Um, and we can also bring some customers into you, maybe get some new feet in your door and promote your name, right? And, you know, we sat down with a, a, a local established local pet supply store, one in Kalamazoo and one over in South Haven, which is closer to the lakefront. So kind of meeting both ends of our market. Um, we sat down with the owner of a local dog daycare because, you know, dog daycare closes at the end of the workday, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people pick up their dog after work and go home, the building's sitting empty. What if we taught dog training classes here and paid you a rent? You know, so we can generate some income for you. We can generate some buzz for you. And, you know, it's it's just uh, a great mutual relationship. And again, like appro approaching it from how can I how can I bring something to the table as opposed to just going into those meetings and saying, you give me something, I'm a stranger to you. We came in to introduce ourselves, but also to talk about how we might be able to support their business and help generate new faces. Yeah, make it better for them, right? Yeah. And to your point of like being really smart about where you could maybe host meetings or have um, have classes. I mean, think about as designers, we can think about our trade showrooms if we have those in our area or retail showrooms or some kind of showroom that we could bring people in at night and do some kind of um, some kind of talk about whatever's um, super important or the type of work that we want to be continuing to do in our business. And we can use those after our showrooms and expose them to new people as well. So, I mean, talk about a translatable idea that's really, that can work in, in any business. So I think that's a really smart way to do that. And of course, everybody wants to get more business, even though even they could be busy, they could be overbooked, but everybody still, the thrill of getting new clients is very great, right? So. It's always a great tactic. How can I expose you to more people, right? Yeah. So again, come in with some ideas about how you can support and, and enhance what they're already doing. Um, so that's not just about an ask. It's about mutual. And then I will tell you, like, everyone likes a treat. Dogs like treats. So do people. People uh, do. Uh, yes. We... Send treats. Good ones, too. Literally. Well, and I mean, it's worth Perhaps it'd be crazy expensive. Like I can tell you, even to this day, you know, and also reaching out, as you mentioned earlier, to the veterinarians who were, you know, 
who see these dogs on a regular basis and want resources to send their clients to and just didn't have as many resources as they wanted, you know, go in and bring, I mean, we literally would bring like a little shopping bag, like a little paper handle bag filled with candy and, and granola bars and, you know, some, some gum. I mean, just some little treats that were individually wrapped. And you would not believe the positive response we got to those. I mean, it, even at this stage where we're probably visiting 20 different vets and, and stores and other, you know, places that support us and market us, we're probably spending you know, 100 to $150 every two months. It's not a lot of money. You know, if you're really short on funds, then bake some cookies or muffins. But right. we're, you know, some lip balms and, and hand lotions. I mean, depending on what you're you know, what your folks are for us, like vets and vets are busy on, on the run all day long. So being able to grab a granola bar in between appointments helps them, right? Having a little treat helps them. Um, so it doesn't have to be expensive, but that creates this, it's in the, in the dog field or in the psychology field, it's known as positive. Uh, it's a, it's <laughs> a good boy. Conditioning. You walk in the door and think cookies, right? And like, we like this person, right? Yeah. He'll literally say what to us. I'll say, we saw you walk in the door and we got excited because we knew you were bringing us some treats. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's, you know, when you stay top of mind, if you do that every quarter or every couple of months, like, and then we would be like, hey, here's some additional business cards or here's a brochure on a new service we're offering or a flyer, right? So you can work in some actual marketing of, of your services or anything new that you've got going on. But you're bringing something lovely to them and it's just creating a super positive response to you and it keeps you top of mind, which is really important. Yeah. And and then once the business started rolling and we were talking about this um, the other day, is that, you know, when you look back what you first started charging, you were like, oh, good Lord, what was I thinking? Yeah. Right. And then you just incrementally and you can speak to this more succinctly, but incrementally upped your prices. Was it every time you offered a set? I know you offer sessions, so they come out, say, every six to eight weeks or something like that. Did you incrementally change your fees every session or how did you approach it? Well, we actually learned a really valuable lesson that I try to pass on to other people so they don't make the same mistake that we did. We were very concerned. I mean, we wanted to be top of the market, right? For us, our whole thing was we're going to be the top of the market because that's what we're doing. We're bringing a premium service and we're going to charge a premium price. And I don't want the tire kickers. And I don't want the people that if price is your number one consideration, you're not my client. And I'm okay right. with that. Right. Like, but that took a while to get to though. We talked about that it took a very long time. Yeah. And it was hard emotionally, right? Because when the beginning you're, you're grinding for clients and you really want to get new feet in the door, right? You want new business. It's so important because it's, literally the lifeblood of what's happening. Um, and so it's really hard when you're starting out to turn away a client, but it, you know, things we learn, if you give someone a discount, you're not getting paid what you know you're worth. You're setting your rates based on what you know you're worth. And if you discount that, what message are you sending? And it's just gonna make you upset. It's, it's literally taking money out of your pocket, it's taking food off your own table. Like it's crazy to do that. If you take clients that are aligned with your philosophy or your values, you're always going to be butting heads. It's never going to be a good relationship. And those folks aren't going to be happy. They're not going to be your referral source, right? They're not going to be your good word of mouth. 
you want clients that super get what you're doing and are on board and are excited about it. Um, don't take clients that mean that you're going to have to drive nine my, nine hours each way to service them, right? Like I yes. learned early on, I I'd had a very big service area that I was servicing all by myself in the beginning. And, you know, if I'm driving an hour each way to a client's house and then doing an hour appointment, my my per hour rate is really dropping. Plus I've got gas expenses. It just, it's just not practical and it's an easy trap to fall into. But the other thing we learned about pricing was where do you have to schedule and, and put this on your calendar every year or every two years max? Our first big price increase, we waited three years and it was a big sticker shock, right? Because mm -hmm. we had, we realized we're way falling behind. We were no longer top of the market, which is where we wanted to be and should be. And we had let ourselves get really in a rut. And it was just money we were throwing away by not raising our prices because we were nervous about it, right? Yeah, but we've didn't, got some point, now. We didn't at this point, though, you had already engaged the work, the help of a coach? Was this when you decided to raise your prices or was this before that? The first time we raised our prices, we didn't have a coach. And then the second time we did, we had a coach and she just took one look at our numbers and said, you, you're leaving a lot of money on the table and you're yeah. way, you're, you're way behind where you need to be. It's been way too long. And it was so, it got a little easier the second time. And then the third time it got easier still. But I mean, it was, I struggled with it. I really struggled with, I think part of that is also just owning our own value right? Yep. Being, being respectful of own value and not undervaluing ourselves. Um, but it's something that I encourage everyone to take a hard look at every year and at an absolute minimum every two years. Three years is too long because then your your bump is too big and it's noticeable. You do it every year. Yep. It's just like everything else. It's just like the price, right? Things things get more expensive over time. That's just how the economy works. Everybody gets that. But yeah. if you wait too long and it's like a 30% or a 50% bump, it looks noticeable. So and then you get a lot more pushback. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a designer so like, client right now who's literally, I think she's changed her prices three or four times in the last 12 months. And I think it's like a muscle like anything else. And she realized, I mean, we had been talking about that she was severely undercharging. However, again, she just was really nervous about it. And I think the last call I had with her, she was like, we're just raising our prices and that's just the way it is. And I'm just like, well, we have grown. But it's like anything else. You start to realize that at the lower price, you're also getting a type of client. You're attracting a type of client that's difficult and challenges everything and just kind of is all up in every little detail. And when you raise your prices... You get people who are busy and who don't have time and just want to surround themselves with experts and are willing to pay for it. And that becomes a much different kind of relationship, right? Because that allows you, that allows you to do what you do best, right? So when you have a client that you've built that rapport and that trust with, and you know, you're again, just, you just talked about how you service those clients. They're busy. They don't want to be involved in all the minutiae. They want you to make it go. And that's exactly what you want, right? That's what you're there for is to make their lives easier. So, you know, I do find that if you price for a higher end client, you get those folks who say, great, you're the expert. You know how to solve this problem for me. I'm going to let you do what you do best. And that's exactly what we want because that is what we're here for. That's our training. That's our, you know, we have that expertise that they don't have. 
let us do what we do best. And you've done all the work to get to that point. So the next thing that I think is just like a perfect transition to talk about is, you know, because here's the other side is there's a lot of designers out there that are just rocking and rolling like they are slammed with business. And we've been talking a little bit about the trials and tribulations of owning and running a business and how to keep one's sanity, which sometimes, um, you know, we kind of, we, it goes back to the identity and that, you know, the business is us and nothing can happen without us touching every little aspect. And we talked about not too long ago about sometimes learning how to create boundaries and kind of stepping back so that we can have some time to breathe and react and to understand what's happening in our business. So um, we were talking about always, we're always taught to strive for more, to get bigger, to get, you know, because bigger is better, right? And um, let's talk about a little bit about what happened in your business when literally you had to like take a step back and incorporate some of this quiet and downtime into your work. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, we probably could have avoided that situation. We had done what I coach people to do now, which is schedule downtime. You know, put it in your calendar like other appointment, schedule downtime, schedule vacations. And that doesn't mean, oh, go do the laundry. It means a yes. break. Take a yeah. break. Right. Right. Um, so we had gotten to a point where we were so busy and so inundated with calls that um, we were literally just running nonstop. There was no downtime. There were no weekends. There were no breaks. And I, I mean, I literally started getting, you know, having a lot of trouble sleeping. I started getting panic attacks. Um, and, you know, my husband said, what are you doing? Like, you can't, this is not, we stop, stop the madness, right? Yeah. And, and we, uh, so we literally implemented a three week pause. We, we called it hitting the pause button. We changed our voicemail. We changed our email autoresponder. And it, we literally said, look, we're on a three week, we're, we're hitting the pause button until X date. Um, we will not return any emails or phone calls until after this date. If you still need us by this date, please call us back or email us again. And you did also like, say in that information, you said, we're here, we're, we're just servicing our clients, our current client base to the best of our ability. And we're really not taking on any new clients until XYZ date. And then if you want us to, if you still want to work with, work with us after this date, you need to contact us. Is that how you did it? Right. Because part of the goal was not, okay, when we come back from that three-week break, we have 150 emails yeah. to respond to you. And that just piles on. It starts the process over. So we really had to make a hard, you know, you get back to us after this date, we'll start accepting new clients. But yeah, and then we absolutely did frame it as, we didn't frame it as, I'm having panic attacks and I can't sleep yeah. at night. Right. A lot of us are. So that's okay. Everyone's going, yep, yep. That would be me. You don't need to tell your clients that. We framed it very much as, you know, in order to meet the needs of our current client, we are implementing a temporary pause on accepting new clients until X date. And then if you're, you know, we will not be responding to any emails or phone calls for new clients during this period. If you want to work with us, please reach out to us after X date. And then what was the consequence? Was, yeah. What was the consequence to that now that you're, you've, you know, you're, you've moved past that? Well, like business-wise, the consequence was not. Exactly. That's, That's what I wanted to hear. 
Yeah. Once was not. We people that needed us still needed us in three weeks and they said hey we're we're getting back in touch um we hope you're accepting new clients we'd really love to be con-. it was interesting because people started emailing us saying we'd like to be considered yes be that is client. the best those are the best clients do you think this would interest you and you're like yes that's when you know you're in the driver's seat right because they're asking you if it if you're going to work with them you know, instead of it being a thing where people went away from us um, we definitely got folks who said, it, you know, it did. There's that thing about scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. Scarcity always active to people. And maybe that was part of, it was certainly an unintended consequence, but I think it happened. The people were interested. They were like, oh, they're very in demand. This must be the best one, you know? Mm-hmm. This must be the best treat. This must be the best designer. So it was interesting. And it was really, it, and we really did need the break. And we were able to come back then refreshed, rested, and mm-hmm. able to show again, right? Because we had really depleted our resources and it just wasn't sustainable. And then we did actually did a second pause a couple of years later before we got to that point, right? But we mm-hmm. could kind of see the the warning signs. The frenzy. You uh, saw the frenzy oh, coming. And and rather than just waiting until we were shattered physically and emotionally. We just said, you know what, it's time to implement another pause um, and just give ourselves a little breathing room and a little time to work through, you know, the client cases that we have now and the projects that we have now. And so we can create some space for some new clients. Um, and and so, let's just make, you know, let's just like make a, really- a note for those people out here, too, to know that it's not just Kelly and her husband that run this business. Um, she has other trainers on staff. Like, so how many people do you have working with you right now? Uh, so we have one person that handles all of our behavior uh, cases, you know, separation, anxiety, aggression, that kind of thing. Um, right. And then we have three trainers that teach uh, classes uh, in addition to myself. and my- Yeah. So it's not like it's just like you guys, too. So when people are out there thinking, well, that's, you know, maybe you can save up for that and do that. No, they had other people already on staff. Um, and so. This was a very deliberate pause. And then do you do anything in your business to prepare should you need another pause? How do you how do you anticipate kind of meeting this again in the future? Like, do you have any money set aside because, you know, there's going to be another pause happening? Or is it just because you have sessions and you have classes that you know that those will run a certain period of time? How do you handle that? Yeah, I think part of a big part of it is. The way our business runs, it does have a sort of natural rhythm because our classes are four or six weeks. And then we typically take one or two weeks in between because the trainers need a break too, right? The folks that are teaching the group classes, I mean, they're on their feet for hours on end teaching multiple classes every night. They take a little downtime. And that's, you know, when they recharge and refresh as well. And we found that most of our trainers really do um, appreciate and value that time and it allows them to come back refreshed or you know, that's when they take a trip or they do some, you know, they might go to a dog show or something like that. So I think our business has those natural rhythms built into it. Um, I also think, again, as we've gotten bigger, you know, one of the things I learned is that when your business grows, uh, the answer is to not keep doing the same things you did three years ago, just more. Right. Yeah. You have to adjust your systems and your process and your scheduling and and your approach has to shift a little bit as your business grows. You can't just keep going, well, if I only did more, if I just worked harder, if I just added a couple more things, 
you, you know, you can't just take the same approach that worked when your business was three years ago size and apply them to today. It doesn't work. And I think that's a trap that a lot of folks fall into is just, well, this is how we've always done things. And if we just keep doing them and just keep working harder, it'll get there. It won't because your business has evolved and your systems have to evolve. So I think that we're trying to be more proactive now about, you know, oh, I might take an entire weekend off where I just say, you know what? I'm not opening the email from Friday night at 5 p.m. until Monday morning at 9 a.m. Just not. There is no emergency. I mean, in design, there seriously is no design emergency that cannot wait until Monday. And if there is something that's like a construction emergency, you know, believe me, they'll text you a hundred times or yeah, somebody will find you. But I would agree that, you know, closing down the notifications, turning off the notifications is a a much easier way to not know that anything's coming in. Um, You know, so... I kind of made a personal rule for myself. I don't look at my email after 9 p.m. There is literally no good that can come from checking your email after 9 p.m. True. You know, if I have a, I mean, again, if it's a true emergency, somebody will text me and I will, I will get that. But um, the number of things I've read after 9 p.m. that just weighed on me and kept me from sleeping, I couldn't do anything about them until the next morning anyway. So why am I doing that to myself? And it's, again, a lesson that I learned having made that mistake one too many times and finally saying, you know what? Nothing good is in my email after 9 p.m. that cannot wait until 9 a.m. tomorrow. Um, So I think just setting boundaries, I think part of it is just scheduling. You know, you and I always talk about ways to create um, consistency with our scheduling that allows us to not feel like, oh, I've got a 97 item to do list and it's overwhelming if you have places in calendar where you're going to work on marketing or you're going to work on your blog or you're going to do pricing with vendors, schedule that, right? Because these, right. these are things that happen. Or don't every day should not be, oh Lord, there's a giant list. And how am I ever going to get this done? Everything should get slotted into its proper place in your calendar. That's also true of your downtime, right? Like you. Um, yes. We should be scheduling our downtime for sure. One thing that I did that changed my life more than I could even have anticipated at the time was because my schedule is I do lessons on Monday afternoons and Friday afternoons, and then I teach puppy school all day, Tuesday, Thursday. I used to teach lessons on Wednesdays as well. And I stopped doing that. And it was life changing because not having to get up and drive somewhere and go teach lessons, in addition to catching up on all the emails and phone calls that came in on Tuesday, right? Like it just wasn't giving me any room to before I started the next full day. So what happened is Friday morning, I would have a whole week's worth of stuff that was backlogged, right? Because I hadn't, because I had been working Monday afternoon, all day Tuesday, Wednesday, all day Thursday. And so Friday morning was like, oh no, how am I possibly going to get all this done? Giving myself that, you know, having a clarity about I only schedule appointments on Mondays and Fridays. Then Wednesdays are my, you know, home office day and catch up and rest and hang out with my own dogs. Um, that changing that schedule really made a profound difference in how it felt and my work well. Yeah, that's awesome. I think this is a great, great place to end our interview. So thank you so much, Kelly, for being here. I hope you guys got some really interesting perspectives from a different industry, but ideas and thoughts that you can bring to your interior design business. So I'm going to have ways that you can contact Kelly, of course, in the show notes. I'm encouraging her and I think she's coming around to it so that her 
expertise can be brought to people outside just the Michigan market because she is the dog whisperer. And um, so you may see her go global pretty soon. But Kelly, thank you so much for being here. It was so great to hear what you had to say. It was my pleasure. I'm so glad to get to talk to you, of course, always, and uh, to talk to your new audience. And I do hope some of this was uh, helpful and, uh, and, you know, just encouraging everyone out there to to just be authentic and, you know, have your business be about what you're passionate about, because that will carry through. That kind of authenticity is always what people respond to. So, you know, don't let anyone else tell you how your dream, what your dream should look like. Just, you know, be passionate about it and people will respond to that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kelly. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Six Figure Designer Podcast. If you're ready to make six figures in your interior design business, then check out my Design Business Bootcamp. Our next session starts soon. So let's get you to six figures, stat.